Okay, I am here with two people from Children's Advocacy Center for North Texas. I'm here with Hillary Wilson, who is the Problematic Sexual Behavior and Graduate Intern Program Coordinator, a long title. Hillary, thanks for coming on and joining us. Thanks for having me. And I'm here with Kate Hudson, who is CACNT's Database and Marketing Manager. Kate, thanks for joining us as well. Thanks for having us, Ian. We appreciate it. Yeah, so I thought it was a good time to have y'all on here at the beginning of April because April is Child Abuse Awareness Month. And that is exactly who you work with is children who have been abused. And as sad as that is, it's an incredibly important thing. Um, and so I, I, that's kind of what I want to talk about is just sort of what that process looks like for these kids who are finding themselves in these horrible situations. Um, but before we do that, just sort of tell us about Children's Advocacy Center, tell us about your roles there um, and, and what you do in the community and what your spot within the organization looks like. Absolutely. Um, so our, um, our organization works together. We work as a team with law enforcement and CPS and um, the DA's office and within our organization too, to provide support for these families who have experienced um, sexual abuse, severe physical abuse, um, severe neglect, and any traumatic grief um, or death that they may have witnessed. Um, so Kate, anything to add? <laughs> yeah, so um, when a child tells uh, someone about something that's happened to them, or an adult suspects that abuse is occurring in the home um, or outside of the home, even by um, anyone, they make a report of that. And after that report is made, our team assesses uh, what's going on and then helps work with those uh, partners that Hillary just talked about to make sure that that child receives um, the services that they're entitled to as far as their forensic interview, which is um, you know, a developmentally sound and neutral uh, interview that is uh, conducted uh, by advocacy center staff um, and is then used in any investigation by those uh, law enforcement and um, CPS partners. Um, and then that child and their family can get all the services that uh, they need from the center and really start the process of processing what happened to them and then healing as well, which um, Hillary plays a big role in. How, how big sort of is this issue? I mean, you know, Kate, before we got started, we were sort of talking about how Denton feels like a really safe community. And there's lots of reasons to, for that it, in, in a ways that a lot is a safe community. But how many children did you see come through your process last year with, um, you know, when it comes to people who came in and the number of therapy sessions that you guys had? Right, so it's estimated nationally that uh, one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. Um, mm. That is of course uh, an average. And so we expect about one in 10 children to experience this. Um, but at the advocacy center, we see more than sexual abuse. We see physical as well. And unfortunately, uh, in 2020, we saw a 364% increase in reports of physical abuse cases. Um, and that was Jeez. just in the counties that we serve here, Denton County and Wise County. Um, and 
we conducted over 1,200 uh, interviews of children in 2020. Um, and that is the most ever in our history. Man, do you, I, do you think that's because the pandemic kind of played a role in that, that we are seeing increased cases? I mean, that that's a significant jump in cases yes. just last year. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we do think that COVID-19 uh, and the shelter in place orders played a role in that. When there is fear and stress uh, in general, just in our society, in our workplaces and in our homes, and we're cooped up, we're facing job loss, we're facing um, income loss from the fallout of um, places having to close, um, businesses not making their sales that they need to. Um, people facing stress um, of that magnitude uh, and don't have the support that they need uh, sometimes make the choices um, that we saw, which results in increased cases of physical abuse. And that is not to say that it was wrong to stay at home or anything. I don't wanna come across in that way at all. Um, but we do know that what was safe and healthy for us to avoid uh, getting or spreading COVID was not safe for children in these uh, types of situations. Mm. Man, I know uh, when this pandemic started, just talking to people on your team, that that was a fear that that might be the case. And now, you know, being on the other side of things and knowing kind of how it all played out is just, it's tragic to hear. And that is a kind of a rock and a hard place situation, you know, we've never had to live through anything like that in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, man, I, I don't have any other comment right now other than it's just tragic to hear those, those numbers. Um, Hillary, tell us kind of about the process that these children are going through. So what, man, after all of these kids, you know, go through this, an outcry is made, and they come to CAC, what's the process that they go through? And then where do you fit in that process? You're, you're a therapist that works with them. So kind of tell me when they begin to see you and what that what that looks like for them. Yeah, so um, typically they've are, well, all the time. They've already made an outcry. They've done their forensic interview. Um, and then they have also, from the get-go, they're assigned a family advocate who helps the family with services, um, any uh, physical needs they may have, food, those kinds of things, connects them with those resources. And then we work at, in tandem with them. Um, and then that they make that referral to the therapy program. And so that's when they come to us. And many times after the forensic interview, you know, it's the kiddo feels relieved um, cause they finally told what's going on and then, but it's just starting for that parent. So what we do is we try to support the whole family because while the child is, is our client and who we're serving, it's also a family issue. Um, and we want to, you know, our impact can be on that family system as well and to support the family as a whole. So that's, um, what we do, we help them process their trauma um, you know, but that's not the first thing we do. We teach them and their family, lots of skills, uh, coping skills, being able to identify feelings, uh, talking about safety and boundaries, um, abuse prevention. Um, we go through all of those things. And then, you know, when, when they've met those, uh, 
uh, treatment plan goals, then they're able to move into really processing the trauma. But all throughout, we're providing that gradual exposure. Um, we're not not talking about the abuse with them because um, it's been shown that that's one of the most important things is that we don't keep it a secret. Once it's out, we're able to really talk about it and confront those things and help them heal. Yeah, no, that's great. And being able to support just the, the whole family in it too, because the child is a victim, but the whole family's having to deal with this, um, this reality, being able to be there and support them through that is, is really important. Obviously these children are going through intense trauma when they experience this. And I, I can imagine how that could affect them. What are some of the, and this is a hard question because I know everybody's different, but what are some common challenges that you see children start facing on the other side of being abused after the abuse has taken place? Um, I, our answer, our stock answer in therapy is always, it depends like what you said, everybody's right. different. Um, but very often, you know, what we see is uh, sleeping trouble. So maybe they have nightmares, they're struggling with um, feeling safe in their environment, depending on where the abuse happens. So if it happened in their home, um, you know, sometimes they don't feel safe in their room or, you know, they, they want to sleep with all the lights on and those kinds of things. And we encourage parents to make those adjustments for them so that um, they can feel safe. Um, you know, I've, I have parents who have asked like, what's going to make you feel safe in our home, which I think is a great question for parents to ask, um, you know, with regard to that. So really, you know, safety challenges, sleep trouble, um, sometimes it's functioning, being able to go out places and, um, and, you know, they may experience trauma triggers. So being able, you know, seeing things that remind them of their abuse and experiencing anxiety or some really strong feelings, um, or sometimes it's avoidance. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to confront it. Um, they, you know, just go about their lives. So those are some of the challenges I think that um, children face. I, these also happen for the parents and the families. I mean, very often they're experiencing economic stress because sometimes the um, perpetrator is um, is the breadwinner of the family, um, you know. So there, then those kids are also experiencing that those kinds of stress. I mean, which then goes back to why kids struggle to tell, you know. I mean, we're sometimes they're worried that that might blow up their family, and sadly it does. But it's for the better. They're safe now. Um, but there are lots of stressors that go on for those. So I think those are the challenges that children face, and then their families kind of face collectively. I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about um, the ACEs study. Um, it was a study conducted by the CDC and Kaiser. It was a long-term study of many thousands of um, uh, participants. And they saw that um, child abuse is one of the major traumas that occur in a child's life that then affect them down the road. And so ACE stands for adverse childhood effects. And when someone does not get the help that they need after this occurs, they face um, a multitude of issues uh, throughout their life, including mental health challenges. Um, they're more likely to drop out of high school and not finish college, <clears throat> pardon me. They are more likely to face addiction issues. Um, they are more likely to die early. They will have physical health issues uh, that stem from all of this as well. And of course, it's a very complicated 
um, uh, case uh, when you start to break things down like that, but um, it affects someone throughout their whole life uh, in many, many ways. Um, in, from uh, the avoidance uh, that Hillary talked about, um, the, the anger um, and, and just the, the hurt and um, uh, inability to uh, trust properly, to set boundaries properly um, and that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, I, that's, that's, I mean, that, that is so much for a child to go through besides just the abuse itself, those effects, whether it's these maybe more immediate effects, Hillary, like you were talking about with the nightmares and not feeling safe and, and all of that. And just being, you know, the kind of the weight on their shoulders too, of, did I just do something to my family, which is not true at all, but maybe, you know, maybe that's what they feel like. All the way to Kate, what you were talking about, these longer term effects of, you know, um, mental health issues and addiction and all the way to possible early death. I mean, these are really serious things that these kids are having to face and live with now. Hillary, when you're meeting with these children in a therapy session, what are, what are some of the things you're doing to help them through these challenges that they're facing? Because I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I can imagine being in your shoes, having to help kids through the level of trauma that they're, they're going through right now. Absolutely. I, you know, I think, um, for us, uh, our, our families that we see, our kids that we see, they do the work, um, you know, that we're there to walk with them through this journey and to support them and to be there with them and provide them tools to make it through. But gosh, it's, uh, they do so much work and every day, you know, just seeing them be able to address this and being willing to, and make, um, you know, whatever, uh, adjustments they need to for themselves to, you know, develop coping skills, to, to come alongside those trauma, um, symptoms that they're experiencing to be able to communicate in a healthy way to figure out, you know, who, who's in my, um, in my circle of safety, who are my support people and, and really turn and rely on that. I, you know, I think that while we're there walking with them and helping them, you know, uh, through this, gosh, they're doing all the work. And so, you know, I don't want to um, discount, you know, any, anything that they're doing because, you know, in therapy, that's what, that's, that's who has to make all the, um, all the changes. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. and, and do the work, but it's, um, yeah, just offering non-judgmental, you know, uh, ears and, and just being there with them, being present with them and listening to them. Hmm. What are some things, I mean, you said the families can, the families are really the ones that are helping create this safe environment to, to do that. When you're working with families, what are some of the things you're encouraging them to do? Because, um, you know, not, not every, um, not every child, you know, has that safe family to go back to, unfortunately, but the ones that do, where they can go back to safe family members, what are some things that they can do to help this child process and heal from what they've experienced? Absolutely. I think um, I spoke about it a little bit earlier, <clears throat> you know, providing that safe environment, really, you know, asking the kiddo what they need from them and being able to deliver on that, um, validating feelings and recognizing, you know, trauma symptoms and how 
to connect with their kid in that moment. Um, very often, you know, we, we get busy as parents and, you know, our kids are having these struggles and we're just not able to give them what they need. And so that's really just the time, um, that they need. And then identifying feelings for them, helping working with them and using their coping skills, whatever we know they're struggling in that moment is super helpful as well as a parent. Um, and, uh, gosh, believing them and supporting them. Um, and also if you, if they need to, um, process what has been going on, you know, for them as parents that we have opportunities for them as well through our parent, parent groups, um, for them to go and, and process what they need to, so that they can be there for their kids to support them. Yeah. It can be really difficult for the entire family, um, uh, and the extended family as well, um, as well as just people in their social circle, especially if um, the perpetrator was someone uh, very close to the family, whether that be a family a family member or um, in the home, um, it can change uh, the living situation and all those dynamics. And I have learned so much from our therapist here um, in terms of uh, setting boundaries uh, and how they work with uh, families on um, uh, pushing for more open um, communication that, that validates uh, one another's feelings and allows a space for uh, a child to have the feelings of, of hurt and confusion and all of the things that they feel that go along with their trauma and, and validate those things and take uh, that space into a healthier space. Um, you can move it into a place that where you'd start to develop um, better boundaries and the whole family can really take that um, system and ap apply it to their whole life. And then um, on to other relationships that they have in their life as well going forward. So um, it's something that gets carried through um, to others and has like a ripple effect throughout time as well through other generations of the family. Yeah. And going back to those ACEs, I mean, I, we like, they have an ability to impact ACEs, uh, you know, those adverse childhood experiences that um, future generations and their family may, and, you know, it's going to lessen that because they are doing something, you know, able to make these changes and move forward in a healthy way. So it's a huge impact whenever people decide to confront this and, and heal from it. Yeah. I think it goes back to kind of what you're saying at the beginning, Hillary was it's important that we do talk about it because it's when we talk about it and bring it out into the light and work with it, that we're able to not just even change our lives, but generations down the line, you know, change the way our family works from here on out. And I think that's an extremely, extremely powerful thing. You know, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of curious about this because with CACNT, there's kind of these two sides of it. You have this investigative side that's happening at the same time that you're working with these children in therapy. I'm curious if there's any interaction between those. I mean, while you're working with the victim and there's a criminal investigation going on at the exact same time, is there any interaction between those two sides of the coin, so to speak? Absolutely. I mean, so, so there is, it looks different than um, how CPS and law enforcement really work together in, in investigating these cases. They work pretty closely in that. Um, we do, we meet every week with our, um, our team to discuss uh, 
cases and make sure that every um, family has what they need so that they're getting family advocacy, advocacy services that were able to share. Maybe they told the law enforcement officer what they're, you know, that they um, were struggling with food insecurity. And so now they're able then to, to say that to the um, the family advocate, maybe if the parent didn't communicate that. And then that's good information for us to know as well in therapy, because it is a therapeutic issue. So in those ways, making sure that we're sharing information about the family's needs and the dynamics. Um, uh, unfortunately, the legal system takes a long time, um, you know, and so, so we focus on healing. Um, justice is so important. It comes later usually. And so what we do is, is uh, walk with them through healing and then that justice may come later. And so then we provide support at that point where they're able to come in and just really process their thoughts and feelings about getting on, on um, you know, if they have to get on the witness stand or uh, just processing any, any struggles around that. And um, uh, so, yeah, so that's about how we interact as far as therapy goes. Um, you know, of course, uh, if we, um, if we have information brought to us, you know, that's above and beyond that needs to be shared uh, that about the case that um, is integral to the criminal part of it, then there are steps that we have to go through to take care of that, um, you know, as well. But that's pretty, pretty minimal, but yeah. A lot of our other departments um, within the CAC uh, do have a lot more interaction than we do. And so, you know, but again, therapy has, so we have so many ethical obligations and things like that, that, that it really has to be protected. Um, no, that makes sense. And how there's, there's, there's so many sensitive things going on in every single one of these cases, you know, I, f I understand how there, there's limits to all of this, but I think it's good that there's able to be some level of communication. And I think it's kind of the magic of the CACNT, to be honest with you, where you have the justice and the healing happening at the same time. And those things that are able to be shared can be shared. So everybody gets to do their job better. You get to do your job better. The investigators get to do their jobs better and everybody everybody hopefully gets that healing and justice quicker and better because of that, which is great. Sure. So if somebody's listening to this and regardless of their life circumstance, they feel pulled toward this, like they want to help, they want to do something, they want to make a difference. What is a, a way that somebody could be involved even in a small way? Because, you know, maybe they're not a therapist or an investigator or anything like that, but what can they do to help you guys with what you're doing? Uh, well, I would say the first step uh, would be to get educated. Um, we offer uh, free education resources to the community, um, to adults as well as children. And one of our flagship uh, trainings is called Recognizing and Reporting. And it's so important to know how to recognize the signs and symptoms of child abuse, and then what you need to do in order to report it. In the state of Texas, every single adult over the age of 18 is mandated to report child abuse when they suspect it. And so uh, reporting seems really scary. Like I, maybe I'm not sure if that was really abuse or not. And um, I, I don't know exactly what to do. Should I call the police or should I call uh, the CPS hotline, um, or can I report anonymously? Um, all of those questions are answered in that training. Um, so I would suggest um, going to our website, uh, cacnorthtexas.org, 
um, and you can learn more about our education programs. Um, we also have an internet safety program uh, geared towards parents and other adults. Um, that is free to the community. Um, and signing up and uh, getting more information uh, there straight from the experts. We also offer a few uh, training uh, classes for children uh, in the different school districts uh, in Denton County um, and Wise County as well. And um, they're really great. We uh, gear some of our programs to very young children, uh, kindergarten through about third grade that teaches uh, body safety. And then we have a couple of different internet safety programs uh, for kids, depending on their age level. Uh, we've got a middle school level one and a high school level one. So I would really encourage you to visit the website uh, and learn more about that. And you can also um, sign up to volunteer. We have a lot of different volunteer opportunities and um, there is something that fits every uh, lifestyle and need. We have opportunities for individuals, for families, and then for corporate and uh, church and civic groups as well. So it's really um, important, I think, for those in our community that want to make a difference in this to first get that education piece um, and then take that next step. Um, become a volunteer, uh, attend one of our events. Um, our um, annual breakfast event is going to be free online this year. <clears throat> and that is going to be on uh, Wednesday, April 21st. So you can go to the website or our Facebook page and watch that uh, event for free. And it's going to be a really special discussion that we're having um, with a survivor uh, who's named Matthew Sandusky. Um, it's a very powerful story that he has. And I really encourage you all to join us for that. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing, Hillary. Kate, thank you so much for coming on. I hope people do get educated. That's what this whole month is for, is being educated. And you guys are an amazing resource for people to do that. And thank you for offering that the way you do and coming on and talking with me today. I learned a lot and I hope everyone listening did as well. Thanks thank so much. So there you go, my conversation with Hillary and Kate. Thank you to both of them for coming on and talking with me today. There are several other great organizations in our community that deal with this issue in one way or another, and I'm gonna continue highlighting them throughout the month. And you can actually go back and listen to another episode I did with Debbie Jensen from CASA last month, where this is also part of that issue, where they help the kids through the foster care system, or hopefully they don't have to go to foster care in an ideal situation. They can be reunited with their families and how people help them do that. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss these episodes as they come out every week. And if you want to learn more about Serve Denton, go to our website, servedenton.org. And you can help make supporting these organizations and making it easy for people to find help and resources like this podcast available to people by clicking the Donate Now button and joining our Circle Support, which is our monthly donor program for as little as $10 a month. But there are people that give more than that, and it's incredibly generous of them to do. So thank you for listening. I'll be back with another conversation like this next Monday. So until then, I'll see you next week.